Hello. I wonder, have you ever thought you had heard somebody or been heard only to discover that wasn't the case? My wife Rachel and I still laugh about an episode that took place shortly after we got married. We'd just moved to Cambridge in the UK, we were setting up our first apartment, and of course as first priority we were stocking the kitchen cupboards. Some of you will know my wife Rachel is half Malaysian, and so we were looking for some Malaysian ingredients as well as some local ingredients. And there was one thing that we were really struggling to find. Kitchat Manis. Where to buy Kitchat Manis? It may surprise you to know that Kitchat Manis is not universally available on the supermarket shelves in England. And so we went on a hunt. First shop, no Kitchat Manis. They didn't even know what it was. Next shop, no Kitchat Manis. Sounded familiar, but they didn't stock it. And it went on and on like this until when all hope appeared to be lost, when there was just one shop left on our little list, we despairingly asked the shopkeeper, do you have any Kitchat Manis? And the shop owner said, yes, sir, right this way. Imagine my excitement as he led us slowly down one aisle, round the corner, all the way to the back, to where this treasured source would be. But that excitement came to an abrupt end when we arrived at our destination and the guy pointed at the shelves and said to me, ketchup, mayonnaise. Now I would say that's just a silly example, but I have a feeling you will say, no, 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 Mark. Ketchup manis is serious business. After all, you can't make nasi goreng with ketchup and mayonnaise. But serious or not, you get the point. Sometimes we listen, but we don't hear. Sometimes we think we've heard something until something happens that helps us to listen again. And with that in mind, what I want to think a bit about today is how does Jesus teach and how does he want us to hear it? Our reading today is from chapter four of Mark's gospel. As we've been dipping in and out of this story of Jesus in the past weeks, we've seen that Jesus is a great person of prayer. We've seen that Jesus is a great healer and deliverer. And today we'll see that Jesus is also a great teacher. He teaches with authority, unlike the scribes. He proclaims the good news of the kingdom of God that has come near. He calls his disciples in order that they might be with him, learning from him, and in order that they might be sent out from him. And the word disciple simply means learner. Jesus in Mark's gospel is this great teacher. And yet we shall see Jesus teaches in a surprising way. Jesus teaches in a way that may at first not seem to be the best way to help people hear what he has to say. Perhaps it even seems a little counterproductive. Let me read the passage for us. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables and his teaching in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. 
And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. When he was alone, those who were around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, Everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look, but not perceive, and may indeed listen, but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand the parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root and endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises, on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among the thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket? or under a bed, and not on the lampstand. For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. Let's pray. God, we ask that you would sow your word into the soil of our hearts, minds, and lives today. May we hear your teaching and be stirred to find ourselves again within your story. Amen. So here's Jesus sitting down to teach. That's the first century equivalent of a teacher taking off their jacket and rolling up their sleeves. And he begins to teach them many things in parables. He uses stories that get people thinking. The first story is one that some of us will know really well. We call it the parable of the sower, but perhaps we should call it the parable of the shoots, roots, and fruits. It has that progressive quality about it. It's a story about seeds steadily growing to the point of yielding. And it's about the things that can interrupt that growth along the way before the seed can shoot or root or fruit. So we start with Jesus teaching this great crowd. But then, verse 10, we turn to a smaller crowd, to those who are around Jesus, who are leaning in to continue this conversation with him. 
They're a bit confused, we hear. They want to ask Jesus about his teaching. And they're asking not just about one parable, but about the parables. Why does Jesus teach in this way? And how should they hear and respond? Because did you notice that Jesus's refrain again and again throughout this passage is a call to hear, a call to listen. At the start of the first parable, he says, listen. And then at the end of it, he says, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. He then discusses it with the disciples, what it means to listen. After which he reiterates one last time, let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Now there's an echo here that Jewish followers of Jesus would have heard, but that we may not hear at first. Because every single day, first century Jews would have recited and prayed these words from Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. This daily call, which every first century Jew would have prayed, has a nickname. It's called the Shema, which in Hebrew simply means listen, hear. And for God's covenant people, this wasn't just passive listening. To hear was to encounter God. To hear each and every day was to meditate on his words and ways. And to hear was to respond by reflecting his character in the world, in how they lived their lives. So when Jesus says over and over again in this story, listen, hear, the implication is that this great teacher is renewing this call to hear, to encounter God through him, to meditate on his words and ways, and to reflect his character in the world in how they live their lives. And that is what it means to be learners, apprentices, disciples of this teacher Jesus. So Jesus calls us to hear, but is it just me or is what Jesus says a little bit unsettling? Maybe as we read this story, two unnerving questions are forming in our minds. Which kind of soil am I in this story? And am I one of the outsiders or one of the insiders in this story? This story of shoots, roots, and fruits has two constants and one variable. The constants are, number one, that the seed, which is God's word, is being continually sown. It's being sown all over the place. In fact, the Ministry of Agriculture and Food would probably be appalled at the indiscriminate seeding practices of Jesus. And then two, wherever God's word is sown, there will be birds that pluck, there will be the sun that scorches, and there will be the thorns that choke. But God will give growth. So those are the two constants. But the variable in the story is the soil. Different kinds of soil lead to different kinds of growth. So which kind of soil am I? I want to be the fourth. 
the sown seed of God's word growing in good soil so that it shoots and roots and fruits in my life. Mm. But am I the first? The seed of God's word connects with me, but doesn't sink in. And then when I turn to the next thing in my day or my week, it's gone before it can grow. Or am I the second? The seed of God's word that I receive with joy comes to be scorched by a busy or a difficult life or trying circumstances or people who disagree with me or challenge me. Or maybe I'm the third kind. The seed of God's word is competing within me with other plants in the soil of my life and its growth is choked by wealth, by achievement, by position, by relationships, by the desire for more. The truth is, I suspect, that I have been all of these kinds of soil at moments in my life, maybe even two of them at once in different parts of my life. And the question is, how does Jesus teach and how does he want us to hear in order to grow despite these things, in order to be good soil. Which kind of soil am I? And what can I do about the kind of soil I am? And that brings us to the other question. How can I be on the inside rather than the outside? As this circle gathers around Jesus to discuss his teaching further, he says, to, to all of you has been given the secret, the mystery, of the kingdom of God. But those outside, and we can even imagine him pointing to the dispersing crowd in this moment, to those outside, everything is given in parables. And the outcome? That they look but do not perceive, that they listen but do not understand, and therefore don't turn around and embrace and grow into the renewal that Jesus has come to bring about. Well, what's going on here? What is going on here? At one level, Jesus is simply describing what's happening in response to the teaching of Jesus and the early church to which Mark writes. There are those who are listening, truly hearing, and whose lives are being changed. And then there are others who listen, but do not hear or respond, whose lives go on just as before. And in light of that fact, Jesus is encouraging us to draw near and hear, to keep sowing, trusting God for growth, even though it doesn't always seem to work. But then beyond that, doesn't what Jesus says here sound just a little bit like Jesus is deliberately coding his teaching to prevent the uninitiated from hearing it properly or being able to make sense of it? What do you make of Jesus's pedagogy here. Would you do this if you were teaching? And if that's what's going on, how can I be in the circle of people who really hear? What do we make of a Jesus who appears to want to form some kind of secret society? You can see why this is a story that can put you slightly on edge at first reading. Well, what I want to do today is to reframe these questions by reading this parable backwards, not literally backwards, 
I can barely even recite the alphabet backwards, let alone pronounce actual words in reverse. And please be assured, there are no secret subliminal messages in the backwards Bible or anything like that. What I mean is, what if we begin where Jesus lands in this story? Because if we begin there, I think we might see a little better why Jesus teaches in the way that he does and how we can hear it today. What we'll see is that these different soils and these insiders and outsiders are not static, but dynamic. Jesus is not giving a description, but an invitation, not just a profile of who people are, but a promise of who people are called and transformed by Jesus and his revelation to become. Okay, so here goes. Skip to verse 21 which is straight after Jesus has unpacked the parable of the sower and repeated that call to hear. And now Jesus asks, is a lamp brought in to be put under a bushel basket or under the bed and not on the lampstand? For there is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Now, some of us at this point will be remembering Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, where he uses exactly the same image uh, when he calls his disciples to be the light of the world, a city on a hill, to let their light shine. But if that's what's on your mind, wait, look closer, because Jesus is actually using the same illustration here to make quite a different point. He's talking about why he teaches here in the way that he does. And he's talking about how we hear and how God's word grows in our lives. You see, in this passage, Jesus acknowledges that there's plenty that the disciples who are asking him all about the parables don't yet understand. And Jesus knows that his teaching is not immediately transparent, not immediately heard and comprehended by his listeners. He knows that. But he promises us that understanding will grow as we engage with him. Jesus is saying, it's, uh, it's not that I'm being secretive. It's not that I'm trying to make it difficult for you to come to me. Rather, what is hidden is hidden in order to be disclosed. And what is secret is secret in order to come to light. So, he says, have ears to hear, listen. It is my job to reveal myself. It is yours to hear and to trust and to follow. I think this parable is a bit like this. It was a good while before my daughter, Clemmy, really got how to keep birthday presents a secret. At first, she used to tell us exactly what was inside the wrapping the moment before we opened it, just right before. Then for a while, if she went shopping with Rachel and came home with something for me, she would burst through the door and she would proudly announce, Daddy, we've been out and we've bought you nothing. Close, a little bit better but not quite there. And I remember as we were working on this, the conversation that Rachel and I had with Clemmy uh, was about uh, the difference between secrets and being secretive. How do you teach kids to keep secrets without teaching them to be secretive? 
And in the end, the way Rachel put this to Clemmy was like this. Clemmy, we don't have secrets. We only have surprises. We don't have secrets. We only have surprises. And now I think that's what's going on here. God is not a God of secrets, but God is a God of surprises. And this parable reassures us that what God hides, he hides in order to disclose it. And what God does in secret, he does in order to bring it to light, in order to show it to us, to reveal it to us at the right time. And this, I think, offers us a key as to how Jesus teaches and how we ought to hear his teaching. This is what we can do about our soil as God sows in us and gives growth. This is how we can step inside Jesus's circle. And it might seem counterintuitive at first, but Jesus's teaching in this passage says, God is always, always available, but not always immediately accessible. Some of his teaching is intentionally mysterious, but that's not to confuse or exclude people, not to push them away. It's to intrigue and provoke people. It's to draw them in. This is how Jesus finds the good soil for those shoots, roots, and fruits. Jesus creates a space around him for his followers to step inside. Trust Jesus, the teacher, but ask your questions. Bring your experiences, share your confusion, test your understanding, revise your thinking, and live differently. That's what's going on. Why does Jesus do it in this way? Well, I think the gospel stories give us at least two reasons. Firstly, what he wants to teach us, and then secondly, how he wants to reach us. What he wants to teach us and how he wants to reach us. So firstly, what Jesus wants to teach us is ultimately not information, but who he is. It's his identity. Jesus says in verse 11, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to them, his people. Not will be given one day, it has been given already. But if that's true, you might be thinking as you read the passage, then it's certainly in the form of a gift that they haven't opened yet. And Jesus is certainly better than my daughter used to be and not telling them what's inside. Because the disciples seem to be confused. They don't have a clue what's going on most of the time. The disciples seem to listen, but not hear over and over again. But then again, this secret of the kingdom, it's not a secret piece of information. The secret is Jesus himself. That's what the stories about Jesus are constantly driving at. The revealer is the revelation. The medium is the message. The teacher is the teaching. The secret of the kingdom, in other words, is sitting right there with them and they're quizzing him. And from here, the disciples will go on this huge journey of discovery this journey of learning who Jesus is. And there are going to be ups and downs in that journey, and sometimes both at the same time. 
You might know the story from Mark 8, when Jesus um, says to Peter, who do you say I am? And one moment, Peter says, you are the Messiah. There's the up. But then the very next moment, Peter is opposing Jesus for teaching that he must die and then rise from the dead. And Jesus tells him that he has his mind on human things rather than divine things. There's the down. The point is the disciples have the secret of the kingdom, but it's very much a secret that is still unfolding. In fact, often in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus hides his identity from people. When Jesus delivers people from demons and the demons recognize him for who he is, he actually commands them not to tell anyone. And when Jesus heals people, he tells them, again, not to go around telling everybody about it. Theologians sometimes call this the messianic secret. Jesus hides his identity. And today's passage actually gives us one reason why. What is hidden is hidden in order to be disclosed. It's the secret of Jesus's identity that gives him the time and the space with his disciples to reprogram their inherited ideas about what a Messiah should be and should do. It's the secret of Jesus's identity that means people don't become so preoccupied with the things he can do for them that they miss the relationship into which he is calling them. Jesus in Mark's gospel doesn't simply announce his identity. Jesus doesn't force himself on us. He intrigues and he provokes because it's as we engage with him that he discloses more of himself to us. That's still how he works today. And now, of course, that's not to say there aren't things that we will never understand about God. To put it a little too bluntly, we humans are very, very small and God is very, very big. And this is also not to say that there aren't things that we will have to wait to understand. In Mark's gospel, it's not until the resurrection of Jesus that who he is will really become clear to the disciples. And that's the road we're on this, this Lent as a church as we approach Easter to seeing Jesus as he really is in his death and resurrection. And there again, even after the resurrection, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, there are things we won't learn until his return and the renewal of all things. Now we see through a glass darkly, then we will see face to face. But for each of us, discipleship to Jesus is a journey of hearing, of learning, of discovering who he is in this life. So trust the teacher. What is hidden is hidden in order to be disclosed to you and to me. And then secondly, Jesus teaches us in this way because of how he wants to reach us. Not just what he wants to teach us, but how he wants to reach us, to draw us into relationship with him. When the disciples are intrigued by Jesus's parable, but also just a little confused, they lean in, they ask questions. And then Jesus begins to answer. And I sometimes wonder, reading this passage, whether there's just a little mischief in Jesus's response. He says to them, do you not understand the parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? 
Maybe these aren't the words of a disappointed math tutor. You know, come on guys, you've got everything you need to figure out this maths problem. And if you can't work this one out, how are you gonna work the rest out? You're only on question four and there are 20 of them. I don't think that's it. Because at this moment, the disciples are doing exactly what they need to be doing. Jesus tells us this is the intended response to his cryptic teaching. The disciples don't get it, but there again, they also don't pretend to get it, nor do they mistakenly think they've heard it when they haven't heard it, nor do they conclude that because it's a bit confusing, it mustn't be for them. They're never going to hear it. Instead, the disciples lean in. They ask their questions. They continue the conversation. This is exactly where Jesus wants them and us to be. And so when we reach verse 33 and we hear, he explained everything in private to his disciples, we should be thinking not so much about some kind of extra secret knowledge or supplement. We should be thinking about a conversing community of disciples gathering around Jesus as Jesus's intended context for real learning and discipleship and growth. This is how Jesus teaches. Jesus doesn't just come out and answer all of our questions. Instead, he gives us time and space in which we can question some of our answers, in which we can dismantle some false understanding in order to clear a space for new insight. Jesus gives us time and space even to be confused for a little while in order to question, to share, to reflect, and to grow. And that is precisely what happens when you take the Sunday sermon home and talk about it in the car and at the dinner table. It's precisely what's happening when we read the Bible for ourselves. It's what's happening when we go on an alpha course or when we join a connect group or when we sign up for something like St. Paul's Theological College. I hear good things about that place, by the way. I've talked a little bit, little bit about my kids today and perhaps some of you are wondering, if this is what it means to hear, is this, if this is how Jesus wants us to learn, uh, and, and if this is how good soil is, is cultivated, this curious, exploring outlook, then how does that fit with Jesus's idea of childlike faith? Well, if you ask me, um, that image makes much the same point. The theologian Francis Young says that this is precisely what Jesus probably has in mind when he talks about entering the kingdom as children. Nobody who has kids of their own has any illusion about their passivity in learning, do they? Their questions are interminable. They have this insatiable curiosity. They have this infuriating persistence in asking why and how. And they aren't afraid to look foolish or to make mistakes. Because without those qualities, how could they ever learn or advance to maturity? So here's Jesus, our great teacher. And ultimately the call of this passage is twofold. To trust this teacher, to disclose that which is hidden in due time, and to approach him with our confusion to engage with this teacher in order to step further into that revelation, in order not merely to listen, but to hear. 
remember that he is uniquely qualified to teach you. Jesus is the secret of the kingdom of God. And remember that he knows exactly how you need to learn and how to engage you so that you will grow and bear much fruit. Trust him to give the growth. And so I wonder, where do you find yourself in this story today? Perhaps you're new to church. Perhaps you've been hearing Jesus's teaching for a while and it's been connecting, but now it's really beginning to sink in a little bit. You're just beginning to engage the company of others, perhaps to explore it. Maybe you're doing an alpha course. We'd love to pray for you at the start of your journey as Jesus discloses that which is hidden, as he shows you more of who he is and who you're called to be with him and in him. Or perhaps you've been walking with Jesus for years. Jesus has shown you who he is and changed your life. But in certain seasons, it's easy to shrink back from hearing into merely listening. Perhaps you need to recapture that childlike sense of wonder, discovery, and excitement today. Perhaps you're in a season of unlearning in order to make room for fresh vision. Or perhaps you've come up against a question that you couldn't quite answer or an idea that you couldn't quite wrap your head around and you've stalled. We'd love to pray for you too. For some listening to this, I believe God wants to reframe that stuck moment as the beginning of a new season in your journey of discovery. As you lean in again, as you ask your questions and as you engage with others. So wherever we are, shall we raise our hands and ask the Holy Spirit to come? We pray now, come Holy Spirit. Scripture tells us that the Spirit is the one who leads us into all the teacher's truth. We ask for that today. Scripture tells us that the Spirit is the one who reminds us of all of the teacher's words. We pray for that. And Scripture tells us that the Spirit is the one who searches each of our hearts and minds. Give us ears to hear the words of Jesus the teacher in this season and to engage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's worship Jesus now. Oh, 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 oh,